Welcome to the Dadpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Oliveira. And today I have an exciting guest who's going to help us learn more about becoming a better leader. Dr. Julia Deganji is an expert neuropsychologist. She has written for Harvard Business Review. She has a book in the works. She's done TED Talks. I'm really excited to have you here, Dr. Julia. Thank you so much for having me here, Alex. I'm super excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive right into it. You know, the first question that I have for you before we get into a little bit about your background, because I, I know you you have a background in international humanitarian aid and presidential campaigns, which is really interesting to everyone because the world is crazy everywhere you look. There's, I think, so much that you can learn from from these people and what they're doing, right? So let's actually back it up. Tell me a little bit about you and 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 how you got to do what you're doing today. Sure. So it's a huge question. So I'll, I'll jump in and then feel free to ask some yeah. follow-up questions. So I am presently a neuropsychologist, which means I'm a clinical psychologist with specialized expertise in the brain. Mm -hmm. And really I describe my work in, historically I've described my work in kind of three categories. I think about your brain, I think about your leadership, and I think about your emotional intelligence, right? So how our emotional intelligence affects our leadership, right? And then what the brain has to do with that. And of course it's everything, right? Because the brain is sort of the portal to our lives. But I will tell you that as, you know, I think, Obviously, when we do something for a long time, our thinking about the thing evolves, and ideally, I hope it gets better and stronger. I will tell you that I now think that there is almost no meaningful distinction between leadership and emotional intelligence. I think that, that they are actually almost perfect synonyms because, let me explain this, right? If Things are going well. Like, let's say like I'm leading a team. And by the way, I think leadership, I'm certainly not talking just about this in a corporate context. Leadership simply means my ability to have an effect on my life. So my leadership shows up everywhere. It certainly shows up in my business, but it shows up in my parenting. It yes. shows up in my relationships. It shows up on how I conduct myself on social media. It shows up in terms of who I am as a citizen, who I am as a friend, who I am as a human being, right? So- if the external world is cooperating, meaning the customers are buying, <laughs> my kids are listening, the people on social media, the people on social media are behaving, that's great. And yeah. I hope that we all have those moments when, when the world just works for it. Yeah. But that requires not a single ounce, not a single drop of my leadership power. Okay. Of my leadership authority, right? So my leadership is who I become, who do I become in the moments of resistance? Mm. Now I'm writing a book right now for Harvard Business Review on basically the neuroscience of leadership. And so I, obviously there's like so much interesting, brilliant content out there about leadership, but here is the most powerful definition I can give for you. And I'd love to hear what you think about it. Cause yeah. I've been thinking about this now for a couple of years the most powerful definition of leadership, and this is going to be pretty bold, on the planet, on the planet, okay, is who do I become in my own moments of pain? 
In other words, when I don't like the words coming out of your mouth, Alex, and you start to frustrate me, when I don't like the things, the, the way that you're doing it, when I don't like the way that you're seeing it, when you're, when you're asking me too many questions, when you're frustrated, when you're not agreeing with me, right? So all of these instances, all these situations in our life generate what I call emotional pain. Okay. Now, some people might call that stress. Some people might call that struggle. Some people might call that irritation, frustration, overwhelm, invalidation, not being seen. We could go on and on and on. There's probably a billion synonyms, right? But your brain is a tiny little thing. I always say it's the most precious real estate in the world. It's less than three pounds. So the circuits in your brain that give rise to bad feeling, that give rise to painful feeling, are the circuits in your brain that give rise to all your bad feeling. So I really think if we, and I'm happy to dig on this with you, is like my leadership, the measure of my leadership is who I become in my own moments of pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do, you no, what do you think about that? Oh, no, I, I 100% agree with you. I mean, before the podcast, you and I were talking about, it and I said on your, on your TED talk, you talked about the developing suffering skills, fight or flight, you know? And I said to you that for many years, for decades now, I've used it. Well, really, I wouldn't say for decades. Let's go back to pain real quick and leadership, which is what we're talking about right now. So 2009, 2008, 2009, um, my wife and I, we, we have a business it's doing millions of dollars in business with like 40 employees. Everything's great. Life's great. We're about to have our first kid, nine months, full term, stillbirth. We lost him, Kyle. So at that same moment, a series of events happened, which you probably remember the, the great recession. Um, I was over leveraged in business, Dr. Julia. And um, one thing after another from the, the real painful, emotional emotion of losing my son, right? My first son. And then, and then subsequently being millions of dollars in debt because I wasn't right here and neither was my wife. We were both the owners of the mm -hmm. business. And so we had to dismantle the business, sell what we could, what we couldn't liquidate, get out of it. And we got in the car, we went out West to, to uh, Grand Canyon and all over. We spent like a month on the road, came back. And then we said, okay, good. Where do we go from here? But so much pain. And the, the, the interesting thing about that, Dr. Julie, is that we recognize at that moment that we couldn't be good leaders. We just couldn't. And so we took a step back and said, we, we need to get out of the business. We can't deal with clients. I mean, I found myself, you know, sitting in front of clients who were ready to close big deals with us. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't care. I've got, I just lost my son. What are you talking about? Like I could care less about this or that in the contract. And so I think we felt we did the right thing at that moment. Whereas in previous businesses, my, my emotional connection to the business wouldn't allow me to just simply fold and say, I'm, I'm, I can't do it, right? So it's just interesting, different ways and different things. But um, from that, from that, we rebuilt. We have four kids today. And, and, and through it all, obviously, a lot of pain, um, but dealing with it up front. And then what I learned from that situation, which this would be great for our listeners and obviously to yours as well, to your audience, is that, you know, for me, it was the plan failure piece of it in, in business, specifically just talking about my leadership in business. Because even if I hadn't lost my son at that, at that time, I had made a series of really bad, poor decisions and wasn't ready for the economy to tank, you see. Mm -hmm. 
And so obviously things have changed. So I say I've been doing this plan failure thing for since 2009, so 13 years, and it's worked out well. But I, I share this with you. I'm, I'm making this such a long story, but I share it's this such with a powerful you. story. No, I'm, I'm like, I'm enthralled. Keep going. Yeah, but I share this with you, Dr. Julia, because I, I, I obviously from, from a clinical standpoint, I didn't know what, what I was doing. I went and learned emotional intelligence. I got a bunch of certifications because I really blame myself in a lot of ways for the business going downhill where, you know, it, it, it was what it was. I had clients who went out of business, didn't pay us. So it was a lot of things mm-hmm. that, that there were a lot of things at play, you know, but I, I wanted to figure out a way to prevent that from ever happening again. And in my head, there was this aha moment that was like, okay, I need to spend a lot of time using this muscle we call a brain and really exercising. Like if, if, a doesn't happen and B happens, then C, then D. And, and then I need to sort of be, have a, put myself in a place where I know what decisions I'm going to make at that moment. Mm-hmm. And, and it takes a lot of work. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, it's, it's, you have to spend a lot of time doing this. But it means that when at those moments, going back to what you were talking about, in leadership at those moments where I have to have more empathy or be more sensitive to someone, then it's, I'm, I'm already programmed. Now, let me ask you this, if I can, because obviously what you just told was such a, I mean, poignant, powerful, devastating story. And one of the points I want to make really quick before I ask my question is like, Pain. So the human brain processes pain on a continuum. It's not like traumatic pain is one part of the brain. And then our ordinary average stress about being in traffic or getting upset with a coworker. Mm -hmm. So pain is on a continuum. So even if like people are listening to your story, Alex, and saying that is so painful, I want people to understand that the brain, the circuits that process pain in our brain are the circuits that process pain. Okay. So let me ask you this question though, is like, do you, what do you feel was the biggest transformation or like, did you learn something incredibly powerful out of that, that period of your life, both the loss of your son and it sounds like a massive loss and change in your business as well? Yes. I mean, I think the thing that I learned the most was just that, you know, even, even if you want to blame others, even if there are things that were out of your control, so to speak, you just have to value life so much more. So I, I will, I will say that up until that moment, I was living life like a lot of people, go, 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 keep growing, do this, right? Acquire wealth, all of that. And since that time, it's just, I, I feel happier. So it's kind of strange that pain turns into happiness because there's this clarity, like for me, what life is all about. So here's a funny thing. Yesterday for Father's Day, my kids and, and their cards, my daughter, drew um, in the front of the card, these little weeds, like weeds that you would find in the lawn. And I, I said, what is this green, little green thing? She's like, ha, 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 ha. It's the weeds that you're always pulling, right? Like for me, meditating and getting lost into nature and watching a bird or weeding for like an obscene amount of time, it is just, it's the little things in life that if you would have told me prior to 2009 that I'd be weeding and enjoying it, Mm-hmm. Uh, you thought, said, yeah, we would. Yeah. Yeah. What are you talking crazy. about? Let me go. Let me go grow my business and then go travel. And right. what? No. But since that time, I would say for me and for my wife, too, she would she'll confirm it's the smallest, the, the, the most like nano sized things in life that really matter. 
And are you a more, would you say you're a more powerful leader? Are you a more effective leader? Oh, by far, almost. A uh -huh. I mean, definitely a completely different person. <laughs> so let me like, so this is what I think is so, so I, I want to make a couple of points here. So your story, first of all, blew me away. So I could listen to you talk for like, that was so powerful, eloquent. And I thought what you said about the pain being so transformative is so powerful. And if there's like one message that I feel like I'm on the planet to deliver, mm -hmm. it's that pain is the single most powerful motor of our transformations, right? Now, here's what I want to tell people. And this is such a power. I think this makes it easier because like, it's not easy to deal with pain. Like that's literally what the word means. And the brain, the brain is very fascinating because I'm sure people have heard before how there's kind of like two brains, right? The thinking brain. And like, sometimes people will call it the lizard brain. Mm -hmm. So I call it like the reactive brain and the wise brain. Okay. So when it comes to pain, the reactive brain is always going to say, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Let's avoid it. Whether I'm talking about burning my hand on a hot stove mm -hmm. or confronting a really painful truth about the way I've been operating my business, having a really tough, tough conversation, facing a really difficult client. The, the reflexive brain is always going to be like, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Now, listen, I'm actually in the business of putting people in their power. I'm in the business of empowerment. So I'm not a glutton for pain. I'm not a glutton for punishment. Right. In other words, if there was a way that we could avoid our pain, do it, do it. But here's the thing, okay? This is where the conversation gets really powerful. It is a myth. It is a total lie to say that there is a scenario that, of, that I could entirely avoid pain. All right. So for example, let's say that I have to have a, I have to face down a really, there, there's a tough situation and I, I now have to have a difficult conversation with somebody. So let's say something you did, Alex, it really bothered me. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, there's a part of me that's like, you know, I don't, I don't want to have that conversation with him. Like he, he might get mad or he might, he might misunderstand what I'm saying and it might ruin the relationship. And so I'm just going to avoid it. Mm -hmm. So if I have to have that conversation with you, there is going to be pain. In other words, I might feel sure. afraid. I might feel anxious. Right. <laughs> I might feel stressed. Okay. And if, if, if that, if I could just avoid that conversation and have no pain, I should, I should hundred percent do it. But here's the problem. I can't mm -hmm. because when I don't have that conversation with you about the truth of my own life, that I really am upset, that I really feel aggrieved on some level, that I really want to fix something, that I really feel like we could heal something up, that I really feel like we could have a stronger partnership, that I really feel like we could have a stronger business. The person in the room that knows I didn't have enough courage to do that is me. Mm -hmm. So now I have to sit with a new pain the pain of my willingness to abandon myself, mm. the pain of my willingness to squelch my own need for self-expression, the, the, the pain that I've created inside of myself by stamping down my own truth. So there's two pains here. There's the pain of having the uncomfortable conversation and there's the pain of what I call self-abandonment. So now as a powerful leader in our own life, we get to choose not which pain can we avoid, but Jeez. which is the more powerful pain? Oh, and, and which and, one resolves the problem, right? Because I, yeah. I agree with you that so, when you when you when you go head on, it isn't just the feeling, but you do sort of you're able to move forward without this thing lingering and dragging behind you, right? A hundred percent. Avoidance is like because you see how in both. So I think about energy all the time. I think, and I think about. The brain is quite literally an electrical machine. We're energetic mm -hmm. beings. So we're always 
expending energy. When we avoid, 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 like avoid the conversation, avoid mm-hmm. the tough call, avoid the, we're not ready. We're not, it's, it's just like we're, we're spending our energy just running in a circle, running in a circle, running in a circle. When I, to go back to our example, choose the truth of my life and have the, find the courage to face you, which is, it's going to be a painful conversation. I journey up the mountain. So instead of spending my energy running in a circle, I start journeying up a much more powerful mountain. So I think it's so transformative for people when they say, oh, it was always an illusion. I could never really avoid pain. Mm -hmm. So let me choose the more powerful pain that really contributes to my expansion as a leader. Oh, I love the way you said that. Choose the more powerful pain because that's how I... I mean, that's how I've always looked at these situations, just whether it's an employee, a customer, I've always even told my kids, like if a client calls, we're not perfect and there's an issue, right? I don't shy away from these things. I get on the phone and I want to resolve the issues. I try to Mm -hmm. teach them the same things in in our uh, personal life, which is like, you can't just take care of the problem. If you need to apologize and say, how can I fix the problem? You go, you fix it, and then you move on. It's so much easier than just, you know, sweeping it under the rug and hoping for the best because everybody knows, like you said, including yourself, that the problem hasn't gone away and you just chose the weaker of the two uh, problems, right? Yeah. And one thing that I believe is so, and I see this, so I do clinical work. So I work with patients and I work with, you know, families, I work with individual patients, but I also do a lot of work with leadership. So very, very senior leadership at, you know, companies and and executive teams. One of the things I see is that our ability to hold, and this goes back to my most powerful definition of leadership, it's Mm -hmm. our ability to hold the energy of our pain and expand Mm -hmm. that itself determines how far we rise in our leadership. So let me give you an example. I'm working with someone right now who is incredibly senior and this person, um, chances are good. Like obviously nothing is a guarantee, but chances are good that, um, she is going to make it to the C-suite of a very, very large fortune 100 company. Her main issue that she's having a lot of pain with is the pain of, I think a lot of people are going to recognize this, the pain of people pleasing. Okay. Okay. Did, did I get this right now? When you, when you would meet this woman, you would not think that this was true about her because she comes okay. off as very confident, but she's always hustling on the back end. Like, you know, it's a very perfectionistic drives. So anytime you get into the overs, overworking, overpleasing, overdoing, overgiving, that's all a pain response. It's all a trauma response, right? Okay. No one's ever like, you know what? I want to say no, but instead I'm going to kiss your ass. You know what? I'm really tired right now, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to overwork. Okay. So her, if she, she's at a very senior level in the company, but she's not C-suite. If she gets into C-suite and she doesn't change her ability to expand, to hold more energy, can you see how miserable she's going to be? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Cause that, 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 that workload and responsibility yes. will double, yes. triple and, and, and every decision will matter that much more. Right. And think about this. There's a no, once, once you're in C-suite, it's like what, even if you're really senior, as long as you're not C-suite, you can look up and there's somebody who can give you guidance, who can give you approval, who can give you, I'm putting it in quotes, their blessing or, or their permission. When you get to C-suite in a way, you're kind of like a free fall. Like you are leading yourself, not just yourself, you're leading the whole company. So until I can figure out what to do about the fact that I always need your reassurance, do you like it? Is it good enough? Is anybody mad? Have I responded quick enough? Have I solved the problem? You got to clean that energy up if you're serious about 
holding more leadership power in your life. And, and, and to change that behavior, uh, I, I don't want to say a flaw. Some people will say, oh, it's a character flaw. But just to change that behavior, obviously, it's going to benefit her. So she has to deal with the pain, the trauma then. Yeah. And I, I don't necessarily even mean big T trauma. So in, in you right. know, as a, as a trauma scientist, sometimes we talk about big T trauma, like combat or assault. Right. Let me, let me kind of just take a neurodevelopmental lens to this for a second. So if you really think about how our brains formed in childhood, so the, the most powerful, the most powerful leadership relationship on the planet is the parent-child relationship. This is not a statement of philosophy. It's a statement of neurobiology. Mm. In early childhood, the brains are generating a million new neural connections every second. Wow. It's, it's astounding. I mean, this is why kids learn so easily, right? Yeah. Now, think about the messages we all give our children, and we've certainly all gotten it to varying degrees, but yep. like we all knew exactly what it took to be a good mm. girl or to be a bad boy. Yeah. Right. We all knew exactly what we needed to do. So it's like early in our, our childhood, we were getting this coding about who I need to please who I need to keep happy. And this was happening even in really good households. It's just kind of part of what it means to be human. Now add this to it. Okay. I have two little kids right now and I fall prey to this all the time. Have you ever said to your kids or or let's imagine it from the kid's perspective, sit down. (laughs) I don't want to sit down. Go tell her you're sorry. Go on, go tell your sister you're sorry. Yeah, sure. But I'm not sorry. Yeah. Sit still. I want to move my body. So early in in our development at the time that the brain is just going wild with power, we're getting mixed messages about who we should be listening to. Yeah. And then when we get in leadership positions, it's a total mistake to think that our early childhood coding isn't playing out every single day in our leadership. We got to untangle that coding. And that's how we become such powerful leaders. Wow. No, that's really powerful. And, and I think it's a great way for those out there who don't have a deep understanding like you of neuroscience. I have very little because I study neuromarketing, what, what buttons to push, what keywords, what things getting into people's emotional, um, you know, even like with offers, designing a landing page for a website and what kind of messaging can make people take action, um, which I always tell my kids is, it's the, the dark side of marketing. You know, you're making people part with their money because every day when you wake up, companies are in your pockets, all companies. The, 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 you know, the line from shareholder to you, the customer is basically like, hey, marketing team, salespeople, go find ways to sell more products so that we can make more money. It's pretty much that simple. And yes, there are companies out there like the Patagonias or Ben and Jerry's of the world that are more, you know, they want to give back to the world and do good, but ultimately they also have to make money. And so I have a big, it's funny because as a marketer, and you'll understand this with your neuroscience expertise, as a marketer, I know how to do it, but I fight it. I'm like the least loyal customer you'll ever find because I really have a hard time um, with companies telling me how I should spend my money. You know, I almost, and and so I'm very careful of the type of clients that I take on Dr. Julia, because um, it has to be done ethical. And so often it's not. And there are just so many companies who they just want to, you know, 
sell more stuff and generate more revenue for shareholder. But I'll digress from that. We'll get back to the leadership conversation in that. And, and so you were talking about parenting. I understand that you do. We have kids. And how, as a parent then, using the example you gave, how do you use neuroscience to become a better parent? Oh, God. This is like, so this is, there is a really nugget, cool a tip? too. <laughs> well, you know, I'm always like, I have... I'm not, a, I'm not really like a life hack silver bullet type just because I don't really need humanity that way. Yes. Yes. I think our lives are so much more nuanced and sacred in a way, but yes. I will say this, this, maybe some people will think this is a tip when you really understand the brain, mm-hmm. it pays dividends across every single situation in your life. Right. Because mm-hmm. who I am as a mother, who I am as a father, who I am as a, as a leader of my business, who yeah. I am as a coworker, who it all is, tra- it, the, the fundamental transaction is emotional. The native language of the human being is a language of emotional energy. Mm-hmm. We all, yeah. our, our native tongue is we're all reading emotional energy to varying degrees. Sure. But so one of the things, and you and I were having a conversation about this before the podcast even started. So one of the things I think we get really tangled as both business leaders leading, a, let's, let's talk about like, let's imagine I'm a business leader leading a team. Okay. And let's imagine I'm also a parent leading children. Okay. Yeah. Tell me if this ain't the truth. Oh, and this is the other thing I've learned about human beings is 99.9% of us. Like I truly believe in the beauty and the goodness of human beings. 99.9% of us out there are really trying to do our best. Yeah, sure. We, we, we want to make it, we want to make it better for everyone, including ourselves. We want to do the right thing, et cetera. Okay. Certainly we screw it up plenty of times, but we're trying to do the right thing. Okay. So what do we do when we're trying to influence our team? Okay. Well, what can I, what can I give you to engage you more? Okay. What can I, what can I, what can I give you to motivate you more? Okay. What can I, what can I offer you to inspire you more? Okay. Same thing with our kids. Like, what what do I need to do? To what do I need to tell you? What do I need to give you to make you respect me more? To inspire mm. you more? Okay, but the problem is, there's nothing. There's not a single thing I can do to inspire anybody else. There's not a single thing I can do to motivate anybody else. There's not a single thing I can do to engage anybody else. What about influence, though? Okay, so here we go. Are you ready for this? This this is a big one, I think. And I, I'd love, like, if you don't agree, I'd love to hear. But I, yeah. I feel okay. There's two components of this. This is which is why we got it tangled. I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to drill this down a little bit yeah. more to give you a leadership example. So I'm working right now with a, a leadership team. They're a, a C-suite of a fairly large organization. They're lovely people. And I was brought in because employee engagement was in the tank. Okay. So they came in, they're like, we want to know all the neuroscience of employee engagement. We want to know all the neuroscience of motivation. Okay. And I was like, cool, before we do that, like what's going on with you guys, you know, and I, and I had the luxury in this engagement of seeing them as a group. And I had the luxury, this is almost in all of my engagements. I had got some time with each of them one-on-one and they're like, freaking exhausted, stressed out. Okay. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. Like feeling pretty overwhelmed. Okay. So you know what makes them tick or it doesn't already. 
Well, if my energy, so I just said the native language we're already com com communicating in is the native language of human emotion and my energetics are already off. In other words, I'm yeah. not feeling inspired. I'm not feeling motivated. I'm not feeling engaged. Now I'm supposed to create an energy inside of you that I can't even create inside of myself. Right. It does not work. Yeah. And how many people on the planet are doing this shit? And it doesn't, it's, and then we get all tangled in our relationship. We spend so much energy. Okay. So what do we got to do? You untangle this by two things, both of which for a lot of us, if we're being really honest are counterintuitive. The first thing that a leader has to do is say, how honest to God do I inspire myself? Okay. How do I motivate myself? How do I engage myself in this work? How do I influence myself in this work? And then trust. How, how so? Tr the trust. Trust. Here we go. Trust, trust other people? other people and their power. Okay. The number one thing that other human beings want, and I'm talking about your two-year-old who you gave her the orange cup and that little girl wants the green cup. Hell hath no fury. In other words, starting very early in human development, people want their autonomy. People want their independence. People want their choice. People want their own access to their own power. Are you following me? I am. Uh-huh. So what do we do? We meta, we become helicopter parents, we become yeah. micromanagers. And you, you're like, you're get out of, get out. Right. So, and people are signaling to us from our kids towards get out of here. So what people want is they want to feel the fire of our power lit up for ourselves, the power of our own inspiration or our own influence over our own life. And then to be trusted, trusted that they will too be set on fire by watching my inspiration. In other words, when you think about the leaders, think about any person that is a leader that you mm -hmm. really admire. Mm -hmm. The reason you admire, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons, but that person's already on fire for what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They're like, there's something about them. There's something, here's the word, contagious. Right. But we don't know how to turn ourselves on. We don't know how to turn ourselves on professionally. We don't know how to turn ourselves on romantically. We don't know how to turn ourselves on sexually. And then we look at the whole world and we get mad at everybody else because they're not doing the only thing that we're on this planet to do for ourselves. And then we have problems trusting. We got to clean up the energetics of our relationships. And then our leadership, like th this is what every day I'm on fire for my work. Could you imagine what humanity has the potential to look like if, if we cleaned right. up these energetics? Yeah. And, and, and we, you said so much there, honestly, I could break that into many pieces because when you were saying the trust, I was also thinking about a couple situations that I, I was in with family over the weekend with my nephew and whatnot, three years, he's three years old. And I'm thinking like, well, I, I could trust him to do this, but you could tell he's going to be very type a, he wants to you know do everything. And I said to my sister, I said, look, I hope I didn't offend you because I'm, I, I'm very disciplined with my kids, not helicopter, but discipline. And I think there's a difference between trust and being a passive parent who says, Oh, whatever. If they burn down the house, I uh, had to give them, they have to be adventurous. Uh, screw that. I don't think so. There's a very clean, clean line. I, I could trust you. You can go do these things and try it out. But if you're burning down the house, uh, no, I'm going to discipline you. And so I had, you know, I to actually text her and said, look, I hope you weren't offended, but like, I don't even allow my kids to do these things. So if mm -hmm. your kids are in my presence and they're doing this or that thing, 
I'm sorry, it's not going to work. And and she wasn't offended. She says, no, I know you weren't being mean. I mean, it's just how you parent. She's a little bit softer and, and, and let's just be all okay with how we are. And we accept that. But um, in business though, and when you're talking about leadership, I, I'd love for you to unpack for me, like the difference between being like giving trust, like that one client that you had, who is, I wouldn't say a yes person, but uh, you know, wants to please everyone if she goes into that sea level and she's a, a leader, her maybe really trusting people and, and the combination between that and being a people pleaser, that may lead her though to, to be a, one of those passive leaders who allow people to walk all over her, no? Okay, so God, you're making such great points. So, so being overly permissive as a parenting style. Cause I love how you're kind of combining the leadership at work and parenting. Cause I think there's, there's a very strong analog yeah. being overly permissive is a form of trauma, like to, to the child. In other words, if you're too, if you're too strict, in other words, you're too controlling as a parent, mm. that's a form of child abuse. Yeah. All, the, the, the energetic flip side of that, cause everything comes in twos is parents who are overly permissive. Okay. If I, if I don't care where you are and I don't care what you're eating and I don't right. care if you just, you know, three, you're three years old and you just watch 18 hours of TV. Yeah. That's not trust. That's abuse. You're climbing on the table, breaking things. Correct. Yeah. Right. And the difference is like, if I'm trusting you, I'm still paying attention. So for example, if I take my little kid to the park, I could be over there like, Oh my God, what, what should you put your foot on the monkey bar? Don't, no, no. Stop. You need to come back. I know. Get, get down. Get, 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 right. That's not me trusting. Like yeah. if there's one thing a human being is good at doing, it's surviving. Yeah. So I got to just drop back. I'm paying tons of attention though. If I was, if I was just being pathologically permissive, I would just, you know, send a five-year-old to the park by himself and be like, sure. yeah, I'll get home when he's right. So the, the difference, can you see the difference? Like tr I, I can trust you and still pay tons of attention to you. I totally, I mean, our neighbor, you know, they have three kids and what we, we kind of know them. They've only lived here for about a year. Uh, they, you know, drove over one day and the three kids were playing with our kids in the driveway. But again, we don't know them that well yet. And they don't know us that well yet. And she says, oh, hey, uh, oh, we're going to go to supermarket. Uh, we'll be back. M meaning her and her husband. I said, wait, what? Time out. <laughs> Hello? Like, you don't even know my last name. Uh, no, I told her, no, 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 no. I don't like... I'm not going to hold that level of, 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 of risk responsibility. Yeah. And yours, I mean, in my head, I'm like, you're psychotic. Like, I'm sorry. So, because I would never do that. Do you know what day and age we are living in? I mean, are you kidding me? Have you, it's just, so you're talking about overly permissive. I agree. I mean, I do have friends, family, other people who are just pretty much like, Hey, let's just live like hippies. And I'm like, well, no, and that's not how I roll. And, and, and no, I'm not going to, again, like you said, my daughter, she's the most adventurous of our four kids. And she, she just takes big risks. Like you're saying, climbing mm -hmm. this and that, and we had to get used to that. It took a little getting used to, to just be okay with her doing it. Because as you said, she really trusts, she's good. And she 99.9% .9 of the time is okay. But, right. but we do have to explain to them why we wouldn't do that. We, why mm -hmm. we wouldn't drop them off in front of a stranger's house and be like, Hey, you guys play. We'll be back in an hour. What? No, we wouldn't do that because a, B, C, and D, you know? Yeah. 
And again, like there's no, there's certainly no one size leadership. There's no one size child. There's no one size parenting. So things like we're talking like the total extremes, like being utterly controlling and being utterly permissive. Like we're very clear in the, in the neuroscientific and the developmental literature, like that's not how you want to be with kids. Well, if you don't want to be that way with a kid, your coworker, Betty, is certainly not going to work on like Bob and finance and coworker, Betty. Right. So it's like, we can't be overly controlling and we can't be overly permissive. Let's go back to people pleasing and leadership. Cause I think Mm -hmm. this is a big one. Like it is, we really want to be connected to people. Like we want people to come with us. And again, like some of it's fear, but some of it is, is this beautiful drive for human connection. Now, I think this could really help your listeners. I hope this can be very clarifying too. There's really only one emotion. There might be a couple, but it's a very, very, maybe one or two emotions that's universally hated. Oh, I, I can't wait to hear because just so you know, on the when you finish saying what you're saying, I'm going to ask you about Elon Musk. So but go ahead. Okay. So <laughs> um, there's plenty of people who are very comfortable being angry, for example, okay. anger, you know, a lot of people like it gives you kind of this feeling of power. It's a, it, it can be a motivating emotion. Yeah. There's plenty of people who like that feeling of kind of sadness, that like nostalgia. So in mm. other words, even kind of some certain painful emotions, anxiety, like sometimes we don't like our anxiety, but it's also kind of exciting too, depending if like we're in the right situation. The, the affective condition, the, the emotional state that all human beings hate what is it? <laughs> confusion. Confusion. Okay. Confusion. And the reason oh, is okay. the brain is a pattern detector. Your brain is going through your life all day long, going apple, 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 banana, banana, banana. We, we do it like this. We do it like this. We do it like this. We don't do it like that. We don't do it like that. We don't do it like that. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. So it's moving us in, in these, in these patterns, oftentimes very efficiently because it's very unconscious conscious thought is obviously the most labor. I don't know if this is obvious to people, but it's the most re it's the most energetic, intensive part of the brain to think when you have a leader that has to make a decision. I see this all the time. And the leaders really into a lot of times they'll say, I really like to build consensus, but just like you could be a parent that says, I really like to give my kids a lot of choice. I don't know. You tell me if it's too much, you're just being permissive. Okay. Maybe, maybe you're, it's awesome to be a, be a flexible parent, but if it gets extreme, so I don't know, is it really, you're just trying to build consensus or is that like a dressed up word to say, you're just, you're overly appeasing right? your people. Now, if there's a tough decision to be made, people are going to have feelings about this. I think we should go right. I think we should go left. I think we should go 45 degrees. I think we should go 50 degrees. I think we should go 75 degrees. In other words, no one knows where to go. If I am a leader who just keeps consensus building for too long. Can you see how much confusion that's going to build? I I can, you know, and there's only a few outliers in that world that I could think of. I don't know about you, but um, I visited um, Zappos headquarters in Vegas many times when I was there for conferences because I was really obsessed with their holacracy uh, uh, system, you know, where there are no managers, there are no bosses, mm-hmm. everybody's just the same, you know, even the CEO, T- Tony Heish, before he passed away, every Thanksgiving, he would work all day doing customer right. service. What? what? What's happening there? And it worked. I saw it worked. I, I immersed myself in all of their work. I still would never want to either work or build that type of system 
for workers, but it worked for them with as many as a couple thousand people in one one place. But um, it was confusing to me. So I think it back back to what you were saying about what we all dislike, which builds on the question. But about- even in those even in those systems where there's not clear hierarchy, like I'm the president, you're the right. vice president, you're, there still is there still is relational authority. In other oh, words, sure. when this decision this type of decision has to get made, it if oh, there's not an, there's if, a manual. If, Operating yes. manual. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Otherwise, it's confusion. Agreed. This is why, because let me give you an example of this that I think is going to resonate too. How often do you like, I don't know, take a really silly example. Like you text somebody mm-hmm. and normally they text you back right away. Oh, I got you. I know where you, you're going. You see where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> we all get it because we've all done it a million times. Now, like now 10 minutes has passed. Oh. By 30 minutes, you hate me. You never liked me anyway. Listen, You're never going to talk to me. Again. Like all of the horror stories are going wild in my well, brain. I love that you just mentioned that. Cause I don't know if I've been doing this my whole life, right or wrong, but I have uh, my, my own system of beliefs and what I do and my hack for not getting annoyed with people who do certain things. And again, my mom says, Oh, why do you do it like that? Cause my mom, just, everybody's fine. Everybody's lovely. Okay, great. But the way I've lived and, and, and have kept some of these relationships is by really adopting this mindset that is, I'm an eye for an eye. Like, however you treat me is how I treat you. So if you check, like your example of communication, communication is a huge piece of good relationships in any case, right? Work or home. Um, and, and with work, I have those people who I know, I know for sure that if I text them, it will take them hours to get back to me. So over time, I just have built this thing that for those people, I when they text me, I don't even think about it. I just get back to them whenever I get back to them. I'm not trying to get back at them, but I just don't want to build, give them what they don't give me, which is priority. And by, by the way, I have clearly told some of these people, like, do you know, to me, I take it as um, I, I don't matter. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I texted you. Um, if, if- but do you see right there how your your brain, because I can almost bet I don't want to overstep here, but I do do a lot of, you know, teamwork, yeah, yeah. And couples work that that person was they got distracted. They you know what I'm saying? It's but, not but, like I'm really some of those people it. is just some of those people is just behavior. And I'll give you another one. I, I even know some people, Dr. Julia, who will actually you know what they'll say? That's uh, my ADHD. And you're like, well, but when you text me or call me and you need something and, and if I don't get back to you right away, your ADHD was not at work. And you said, Hey, get back to me now. I, I need mm-hmm. to know this now. How come not the other way around? So just when you need stuff, your ADHD is not working and which neither here nor there, however severe it is. And I'm, I'm sensitive to that because I actually have no, people in my family who have ADHD. So I'm sensitive to that. But I think that some people use certain things that, 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 that is a cop out. It's like, look, this is why I'm not communicating with you. And for me, what I'll, I'll tell you about as far as like personal relationship, me and my wife, people say, oh, you guys are together 20 years, you have four kids, and you still seem so like good. I say, yeah. And honestly, the, 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 for me and for her, we'll both say that the the, the trick has been communication, always to talk, talk through everything, mm-hmm. just be very clear, intentional, 
And, and so this way I know, I know all the things that pleases her and displeases her. So I know what to do, what not to do. It's pretty simple actually. Yeah. So you're saying like clear kind of, even in some cases, just very clear, maybe even like I, over communication, over. It's almost the opposite I, of confusion, yeah. right? So and, clarity and I, is the opposite. Absolutely. I do that with my kids and I do that with everyone. So the people that just kind of reject that and say, well, thanks for communicating that with me. I'm still going to do what clearly you've told me is a, a, an annoyance. It's like, okay, well then, you know, I can't make you a priority then. And that's okay because depending on, on the, the relationship, whether it's work or, or family, I mean, I have those, some of those family members too, who will, let's say they'll call you, they'll leave you a WhatsApp message. Right. And, and say, okay, I check it and I get back to them. I'll say, I'll get back to you later tonight, man. Like if you don't get back to them exactly at that time, then it goes around the family. Oh, you didn't do that. I say, well, you told me I could call you tomorrow. It's just communication, right? You le left me a message saying that it, there's no hurry. I can call you tomorrow. And then I call you tomorrow and you say, well, why didn't you call me last night? And I'll say, well, why didn't you tell me you wanted me to call you last night? It's just mm -hmm. being clear, just being very mm -hmm. clear. And I find that in, in my business, I've had literally thousands of employees over the last 20 years. Um, I'm sure I've made mistakes with many. Uh, and, and looking to prior to 2009, I, I have a mountain of, of, of case studies where I'm like, I can't believe I used to be that kind of a leader. Horrible. Like must have annoyed people. What in, do in you think has been the biggest shift? Like what's like the most annoying thing that you used the, to do that you, you've really transformed? You, you said it. Trust. Mm -hmm. it, it was trust. I definitely. Were you a micromanager? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Horrible. Terrible. Like horrible. Like just on top of it, asking you and coming back and not allowing you to finish or create mm -hmm. or whatever. And then who, who, who could put up with that? You know? And then over, like I said, after 2009, lots of things changed. And I made a decision that for me to be a better leader, I needed to trust people. I had a few business coaches help me, of course, along the way, mentors, people who I really respected and said, my, my, how, do, how do you do that? How do you cultivate that? And, and then, and then you, me having to change my own behavior and say, okay, like I've been doing it wrong. It's okay. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay. It's okay. Man, That's it, the other thing too, is like, and also like, what is doing it right? Like, there's not even a, there's not even a definition for that, you know? So I feel like a lot of times we're like, oh, we're getting it wrong. We're getting it wrong. It's not okay. It's not okay. It's, I'm like, what is okay? So like, what I'm saying is that this whole experience of like being human, it's so fluid and what can work in one situation doesn't work in another situation. And so it's like, we're always, you know, one of the ways again, to become a very, very powerful leader is let me, here's a, here's a synonym for confusion. I just said like singularly hated experience mm -hmm. is being confused. A, okay. a synonym for confusion is uncertainty. Mm. What's going to happen? I don't know. Is, yeah, is the right now clear? with I don't the know. economy, right? Exactly. Right now, a lot of people are like, oh my God, the market's down. Where is the economy going? <laughs> yeah. But think about, okay, so uncertainty. So this is actually pretty interesting. So when you put people in the laboratory setting and you shock them. So these we have these in our, in our lab and they're very painful. It's an electrical shock, okay? Okay. So if you put them in a condition where it's like the machine's going to count down, it's going to go five, four, three, two, one, you're absolutely going to get a shock or the machine's going to count down and- not. I don't know. You maybe, might maybe get a it does, maybe or you might not. Right. In other words, it's confusing. In other okay. words, it's uncertain. People prefer to be in the condition where they're absolutely going to get the pain. Oh, sure. 
Yeah. Now, and I don't know if you remember like when COVID for, you know, plenty of people were saying like, I wish I could just get COVID and get it yes. over with. Like, yes. let's just, it's like, just, just punch me if you're going to punch. Me. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard plenty of that for sure. Because it's like, we, we can't, the brain is a pattern detector that wants to close the pattern and the uncertainty and the confusion is preventing me, my brain from doing what my brain does. Right. So then tell me if this makes sense, then what do I do? I get into I, I, the experience of uncertainty and the experience of um, confusion is painful to me. So I start to have a pain response. What do I do when things are uncertain? Overthink, mm, overthink, right. overmanage, yeah. overmeddle, become fearful. Overdo. And... Yeah. Like I can control this. And maybe if I think five steps ahead or six steps ahead, yeah. maybe I should ask you again. And it's been five minutes since you responded. Maybe you didn't get the text <laughs> message. Maybe I'm going to send it up. Yeah. It gets to be very over. Yeah. So whenever your leadership starts to feel exhausting, yeah. You're in the overs, which tells you you're having a dysfunctional relationship with your pain. So you got to clean up the energy of how you deal with uncertainty. Yeah, no, that's really powerful. Well, listen, I want to end it with with, um, some positive. But before we go there, I want to ask you about Elon Musk. And here's the reason why I want to ask you about him. Because when you said about uh, contagious leadership, and I said, oh, okay, some people influence. So... I thought of him and here's why for a long time, I used to follow his work and I, you know, admired him as a, a leader, but in the last few years with all the, all the crazy behaviors that he displays publicly for whatever reason, he's, I'm sure he has his own reasons why he does that. Maybe it's pain. Who knows? Um, you know, it's one of those things where to me, if you're talking about leadership, people clearly respect someone that is that successful in building businesses. But then I say, this is not someone I want to look up to admire because in the open, he'll say one thing and do another. So the recent example was, obviously, he wanted to buy Twitter because he wants more free speech because that's what he believes in, right? His employees obviously wrote an open letter to him last week and said, you know, this is management, people in management too, who said like, look, your behavior is making, these were their words, we're embarrassed to work for Tesla and SpaceX and all the different companies he owns. Well, a bunch of those people got fired straight up, right? So in one hand, this leader, business leader that so many people respect because he's the richest guy in the world, like, great. He, he says he's for free speech, but just not when it comes to his employees. I think he's like the perfect case study for all that is wrong with people in power. And, and, and when you said contagious, I said, well, clearly some people respect him still because he's got still has a lot of followers. Right. But it's the language he uses and the politics he chooses that obviously there's there's certain people that are attracted to him still. But the more and more he opened up the type of person that he was for me, at one point I was a bit confused. I was saying, well, is is this someone I really want to follow? Because I'm very careful of the people I I follow and and really. spend time watching or absorbing their content, right? Um, Not because I feel I'm going to be influenced, but just because you get to a point, I think when you said confusion, I was like, that was a few years ago when I came to the point and I was like, you know, I don't know if I admire this guy anymore, or maybe I'm just confused with his behavior. And as it turns out, it's really that. And the more he opened his mouth, the more I was like, whoa, he is so far off on everything that I'm not for. Therefore, I can't follow him anymore. 
Again, you don't have to have an opinion on it one way or another, but this is just a case where I think you're, we're talking leadership here. And here's a guy who obviously, you know, says one thing, does another with employees, you know? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't know much about Elon Musk. So I won't comment on the man, but what I, yeah. what struck me about what you said was again, it, so inconsistency, confusion, and uncertainty, they're all the same energy, right? Yeah. So this is why people hate hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is dangerous. It really triggers our nervous system quite yeah. literally because you're saying you're going right, but then I see you going left. You're saying we should go up, but then you're looking down. And, and so then so, are, the, are the people who are still following him, Dr. Julian, not him or anyone else, could be Donald Trump, could be whoever, are the people who are still smitten by these people are they just of do they like confusion or uncertainty or do they just don't don't care you know i i, I don't think there's going to be one answer to that i think human beings are so complex and you know mm. let, let's just go to the marital system right okay. so obviously like i'm married and not obviously i'm married but i am married but, <laughs> but the, the um the obvious piece here is um my father would always joke well he's he's still married so he would always go like 49 years and never had a fight you know and like we would the whole family would crack up <laughs> so our no one drives us more crazy on the planet than our romantic your, long-term your spouse partners. yeah yeah so i have a choice like i could leave the marriage right that would yeah. plenty of people do and that could be a great decision for some people yeah some people are really skilled at like holding gratitude and really just focusing on the good. Yeah. Some people get not like, there's so many ways. And yeah. therefore, like to take this kind of full circle, the most powerful measure of our leadership is like, how do I really work with all of these energies in my life? Because it's certainly not all good and all easy mm. and all happy and all. So it's like, how do I, who do I want to be? How do I want to show up mm-hmm. It when there are so many emotional frequencies around me? You are so right. Absolutely. Well, I know you have, you're working on your, your book, finishing up. It's going to come out this fall, right? It is. It's going to come out, I think, in, in late in the year. So winter. Yep. Okay. And, and what's it's going the to title? be called, it's going to be called From Pain to Power, The Neuroscience of Leadership in Painful Times. And it's going to be published by Harvard Business Review. And I'm super excited about it. So well, um, I hope it's really helpful to people. I'm sure it will be. I mean, I'll, I will encourage our, our listeners to watch your TED Talk. It was amazing. Um, I, I've definitely learned a lot from you, Dr. Julia, and we just appreciate everything that you're doing. And hopefully we can all become better leaders by understanding our brains a little bit more. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you.